I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Replay, powered by Digital Media. This interview from our Code Media 2016 conference is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code RECODE. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's an interview from the stage of Code Media. This is someone I've wanted to interview for a while. She's, a, uh, she's from an old media brand, a very old media brand that I used to read when I was a teenager, too, um, if you can believe it. And they're trying all kinds of new things and having a lot of success in new media. She's also a fantastically interesting person and uh, very funny. Joanna Coles. <laughs> Hi. Am I sitting here? Yeah. Oh, I'm sitting here. Sorry. No, I think you're sitting here. Yes, I'm sitting here. Sorry. Um, she wore these to make fun of me. I did, actually. Should I switch my glasses? Will you take yours off? Uh, well, we could just do it like this. No, I think people fine. will talk. All right. Um, all right. So, uh, magazines. Why do you make them? Do In this day magazines? and age. Well, how do you look at the making? Why are you still making a magazine? Because people love them. All right. Which people? People who are passionate about stories like magazines, and it doesn't mean they only like magazines in the way that people don't only eat cake or they don't only eat steak, but I think they're a really important part of a media diet. And I also think that um, what's been fun for someone like me working at, you know, in theory, what was a legacy brand is that we suddenly have all these new, exciting ways to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. But continuing with the, we, 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 Peter just did an interview with David Remnick where he talked about this. Why continue to create a print version of it? Talk about why that's a strong thing to do now, because and then we'll get into Snapchat and Sweet and other things that you're doing. Um, your background is print, um, and you've been in lots of different jobs. But well, my why, background's print and also television and radio. Actually. Right, right. So you. Why continue in print? Give the argument, and David did also, why you should do it. Now, people still read it, but is that the kind of audience you're looking for? Because Cosmo's always skewed to a younger audience. Well, I mean, the real re- you know, there are various reasons to do it. One of the main reasons to do it um, is that they make a huge amount of money still. I mean, right? You know, if you think of what um, Oprah Winfrey's magazine has made, um, they make enormous amounts of money. So that seems to me a legitimate mm-hmm. reason to do something. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that everybody in this room can make that claim yet. Right. So, the, so but, what, but you have to be thinking about it because of reading habits. Now, you, you now, who are you yeah, aiming at? What, who is Cosmopolitan aiming at? Because I read it when I was a, a teenager, I would say a teenager into my early 20s. Um, and, it's, uh, and then I stopped for sure, because it, it sort of, I grew out of it, I guess, in some way. Um, what, how, what, who are you aiming for? Who is your audience right now for Cosmo? How would you describe it to people? Well, I think that uh, it's very inter- it's a great interesting question, because there are a lot of sort of copycats of Cosmo out there, especially at the moment, because it's relatively easy to, to start a brand. Um, in the way that 25, 30 years ago it wasn't because mm-hmm. people didn't have the, the cost of actually making the product. Who is Cosmo aimed at? It's aimed at women who are interested in sex and relationships, mm-hmm. which is nearly every woman that I think of and that I know. And uh, really, they start reading in their sort of teens and continue reading, I would say, until they have kids. Uh, at which point they sort of switch off and forget about sex altogether, as anybody who has children in this room will know uh, or can testify to. Um, So 
in a sense, it's a psychographic. It's about people on a journey of their first, their first big relationship, their first college, their first mm -hmm. apartment, their first car, this sort of life stage. Um, and the exciting thing is that when you only had a magazine, you could only talk to people once a month. Um, but now we have, you know, every, we're on every single platform you can think of, and you can talk to them in moments, you can talk to them by the hour, and you can reach them and have a point of view on everything from the Grammys to the most recent episode of, you know, Better Call Saul. You can have a voice and be there, and it's actually really exciting. So how much time do you spend on the, I'm not going to focus too much on the print magazine, but it's very interesting because it's, it's relatively thick, it's doing well. Do you imagine a time where you wouldn't offer that? No, I can't imagine a time we wouldn't offer a print version of Cosmo. I mean, maybe 30, 40 years down the road, but um, no, absolutely not. And, it, and it's because it makes money, it's what the, the product that people want in their hands that you firmly believe that that's what people want. They want an actual monthly magazine that they carry. Yeah, and I, I mean, what's interesting is I grew up um, in the north of England, 200 miles north of London, in a relatively unsophisticated place. And I craved magazines as a way of finding out about the future, about the life that I wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a copy of Cosmo would arrive, I would immediately run to my bedroom, throw myself on my bed and devour it, like a huge, a huge meal. And it would well, tell What was me, your favorite part? All of it. Well, I loved the mix of it. I loved all of it. I loved the fashion. I loved the stories. I loved the idea of having conversations in print in a magazine in a way that I couldn't have with my friends. Um, and for me, it was a way of staying plugged in. So it was a way of learning about cool restaurants in London. It was a way about, you know, learning about designers. Um, all these things that I knew I wanted to be part of my grown-up life, but I didn't yet have access to. So it was sort of painting a picture of this mm -hmm. life that I knew I wanted to lead. Um, and it plugged me into new things. Now I think that we have different ways of staying plugged in. You know, I have my phone, it never leaves my side. You, you can be on this all the time and stay very plugged into what's going on right now. But in fact, I think a magazine is very useful actually for unplugging. And we hear all the time now that people feel, you know, kind of hysterical and listless. And anyone who has teenagers who watches them spend a lot of time on devices will know there is a moment when physically you actually need to disconnect. And I think a magazine magazine is a great way to do that. There's something tactile about the paper. There's all this research now showing that actually when you touch paper and when you read something in a book or in a magazine or on a newspaper, you, it actually penetrates your consciousness mm -hmm. in a different way. It's interesting because I, I actually can't read a newspaper anymore. I can't, I can't pick it up. It's, I can't pick it up for a long time. It's an interesting... You can thing. retrain your brain to do that. You well, can I don't actually want to. do that. I don't you, actually. you might want to. You might want to because here's the thing. The point of a really good magazine or the point of a newspaper, and this is what I worry that we have lost in this um, wonderful, wonderful kind of media frenzied world that we now have, is the sort of voyage of discovery that you don't know what you're interested in until it's in front of you. And the great sort of joy, certainly for me, even now, turning the page of the New York Times or the Financial Times, is coming across something that I would skim through on Twitter because I would automatically think I wasn't interested. So talk about that, because you're, you're aiming at millennials, really, right now. If you're talking about that first of everything, you're aiming in that group, that sort of millennials. Well, we are very much millennials, and I think Cosmo has a very millennial voice. But we also aim at people who are getting back out there again after a difficult marriage or 
or people who are getting divorced and they want confidence in terms of re-establishing or starting a new relationship. And a lot of people um, who are getting divorced have great anxiety around dating. Again, it's a different way to date now than where, perhaps when they were first out there or when they were at college and met their, their first partner. And there's a lot of anxiety about having sex with new people. And so we talk about that. We talk about it online. We talk about it in the magazine. So we, we see a young, uh, you know, audience off on the adventure of their lives. And then we see people when the adventurers veered off down an alley and they're coming so back. How, and how do you, so talk a little bit about energy. those copycats when you're talking about the ideas of it. It's all these sites that talk about sex and talk about relationships. Um, in a frank way, which Cosmo, that was pretty much the only thing that did that. Glamour was kind of soft, the softer side of that. Right. It was like kissing kind of thing. And Cosmo was full-on frontal nudity, We were full-on frontal nudity. Yes, and you yeah. continue to be. Um, do you, is that, is that harder to differentiate yourself in that world now? Because it really is all out there now on lots of sites, and they're very frank. And so you can have, you're talking about the cacophony of voices, correct, in creating a media brand today. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is something we, I think out in the audience is Troy Young, who's the head of Hearst Digital. Right. We talk about this all the time, that doing media well is really hard. And people think it's easy. And um, they come along and they say, we're going to do Cosmo Light. We're going to do our version of Cosmo. Uh, but maybe we won't go there quite as... Um, quite as strongly as Cosmo does, or quite as frankly, or I think quite as honestly. Um, and I, as you can probably tell, I'm not a native New Yorker, which is where I live now. And so I have a slightly different attitude to sex than Americans because I grew up in, in Europe where it's much easier to talk about and it's less weirdly puritanical and much less violent. So it's a sort of a slightly odd... Uh, thing for so me you to must think really about. be enjoying the elections so far. Oh my yeah. God, I can't, I can't get enough actually. Um, but um, I can't remember what your question was. Our weird violent sex and our weird violent weird election. violent sex. Well, I love talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we'll I get was to actually that in thinking. Um, yeah, okay. And I'm, I, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking there should be a Cosmo sex position called the Swisher. Oh. And I'm just wondering what it would involve. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I, I'm figuring it out. Some version of the wheelbarrow is fine. Um, anyway, um, so... <laughs> oh, I got you to blush. That's really you good. No, it's very easy to make me blush. Oh, right, that's true. So, um, All we do is So, so when you're, do, when you're doing this stuff online versus... Is there a difference in delivering this information online versus... And I want to get to Snapchat because you guys have had a lot of success. Even my 13-year-old son has looked at Cosmo online. He doesn't stay there very long, but he's, he's sampled he it. He should stay there as long as he wants. All right, I will tell him to do that. And he's looked at Sweet, and he's looked at some of the others. He's, he's, he tends to do Vice and Vox and um, Daily Mail, much to my chagrin on the Daily Mail part. But um, sorry, Daily Mail people who are there. Um, so, so, but he consumes like that completely. He utterly consumes only media on Snapchat, for example. And talk about the, before we get to Snapchat, how do you, how do you create differently? Do you have a different section? How much time do you Yeah, spend? we have a different editor for it. I mean, you couldn't have the same editor doing everything because it's just, this, it's, you know, it's too much work. And also, I think it's important to create, to, to take the Cosmo voice to the specific medium that you're talking 
in. So um, it's different for Snapchat than it is for Facebook, uh, than it is for the magazine. But essentially, it's the same thing. It's always fun. It's always got a sense of humor about, well, not always, but often got a sense of humor about sex. And what's fun about Snapchat in particular is that it's such a fun medium. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. So you have a look at it, and it's, and it's lively, and it fits in with what I think people are using Snapchat for. Um, but the other great joy, I think, about Discover, and uh, I think part of its brilliance, is that the um, channels are finite. So I find um, that when I go on Twitter, the overwhelming sort of avalanche of um, content coming at you, this Niagara Falls that you can never get on top of. You know, you go to Instagram, you can never get on top of it, similarly with Facebook. And there is something incredibly satisfying about going to something on the Discover platform and getting a hit of something. And then you're done, and you've achieved it, you've finished it. And if you do that with two or three of the different brands on Discover, you will actually be quite well educated about the day's news. So you, how did you get to, to Snapchat? I was trying to get a roundabout saying is, how, how do you staff those things? Because, I mean, Many people are you. I feel too old to make Snapchat content sometimes. Although I do you're, understand, you're it. so not too old for it. Well, it's incredibly ex- easy. So explain to me how you got there, and then we'll talk about you being on the board of Snapchat. What do you mean, how we got? How did there? you decide to do the Snapchat? How did you, they called you? They wanted Cosmopolitan. No, what happened? Because other brands was, have failed miserably on this on the site. So well, well what happened on was. I met the Snapchat team, and here is where Hearst is really actually incredibly good. You can get decisions out of Hearst. Hearst is a big, big company, um, but it's a big private company, and if you need a decision made quickly, you can get one made that day. And I had met the Snapchat team. I brought them in to meet David Carey, who was the head of Hearst, and Troy Young, who was the head of Hearst Digital. And they, we made the decision within a day that this was we wanted to go on the Discover platform. We absolutely thought this was interesting. I had known Nick Bell a little bit before uh, when he's he was the at Newsport. Yeah, he's the head of Discover. He created Discover, basically. And um, so we decided in a day. And the feeling was... And you hear a lot of lip service paid to this, but actually companies don't really like it when you fail. You know, oh, everybody must fail, fail fast, you must try things, 50% of what you do must fail. Um, but I really felt in this uh, instance, as I think we all did, you know, fuck it, if it doesn't work, who cares? We'll try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, now I'm slightly more involved in Snapchat, I hear that all sorts of people were taking meetings and then they would take another meeting and then they would take another meeting. And in fact, no one could just make the decision to try it. And we're incredibly glad that we did, and it's staffed really well. It and runs. they came to you. They came to Cosmopolitan. No, what happened was we met. Um, we met and we started talking, and they started telling us about it. And then I think they said, "Is this something you're interested in? Can we come and show you?" And then the minute they came in, we were like, "We want to be part of this." Mm-hmm. And do you do you feel that you were you're you were digitally aware to understand why this would be good, or it's just I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Well, I I have. Uh, can I ask for a show of hands? Who in this room has got teenagers? Okay. So, not that many, actually. I have teenage boys, and I would say two years ago, two and a half, three years ago, um, the older one in particular really started disappearing into Snapchat. And what, what's interesting, you know, like any mm-hmm. of the social media platforms, you can see how many times you're um, snapping or receiving a snap. And... Uh, I noticed when he'd actually left his phone down and I was able to sort of pounce on it, although I'm not really a Snoopy mom, but, but, but I you just said on you it. were, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly, surveillance. Um, 
that he'd sent, a hundred, he'd sent or received 187,000 snaps. So I was like, what the hell is this thing? I need to find out about right. it. And also, it's not like it was interfering with his life in particular. Um, it was just this new thing he was doing. And so by the time I met the Snapchat team, I understood what it was and how powerful it was mm-hmm. um, among young people. And actually, I had a very interesting... Uh, situation on Friday night because it was incredibly cold weekend in New York we uh, decided to get the hell out we took a plane to Miami and we took our 14 year old son and a friend of his uh, also 14 both boys and they were on snapchat in the line in the security line going through the airport and a friend of theirs started snapping them who's at school in their in their class at school and her mother was dying And this woman has been ill for some time, but the child had been summoned to sit by her mother's bedside. And for half an hour, she just sent snaps of herself crying at her mother's bedside with time. And if I don't know if everybody's familiar with it, but if you if you swipe, you you know, you get a dateline and you get a time on Snapchat. So she would just post these pictures or send these pictures only to my son and his friend as they were standing in the line. And uh, then the mother died, and we just got a plain black snap and the time of her death. And it was quite extraordinary. And this was not something you could have done on Instagram. It was not something you could have done on Facebook. It was such an intimate form of communication. It was very moving. The boys were slightly nonplussed about it because they're sort of teenage boys. Um, but it felt like a very interesting new moment in what something like Snapchat can do. Mm -hmm. So how does that apply to media, though? Because media wants to package and sell and come read us and come do this. Is that, that's a real, that's a, that's a very real and emotional moment. I get those things, that's a very terrible and tragic one. My son met his first girlfriend on Snapchat, never met her, which was disturbing to me in the extreme, but that's another story. Was she age appropriate? No. Um, (laughs) She could have, I thought she was, she could have had a guy from Alameda. I don't know. Right. So in any case, um, it was, it was something. It was something. But but in terms of creating media for it, different. How do you t- t- talk about what kind of team do you have on that? And then well, I want to talk a, about the other platforms. We have a great editor called Madeline Haller on it, who's very very good. And so um, what are you going for? Because Yahoo didn't work on it. The, that didn't work. Some some others don't work. There are people you, on Snapchat that aren't working as well. What works from your perspective? Well, I think. You know, what works? Snapchat is a, is a really intimate medium, and it's also one that you don't have to... You're not necessarily... Um, when you're snap, The biggest single indicator of whether or not you're going to be use Snapchat is whether or not you have a friend on it, because it really is about intimate Right, but I'm talking about using the media. What yeah, is- no, no, I know you are, but I'm trying to get to your point, um, which is about people's relationship with, with Snapchat. And then once you're in the Snapchat app... What are you doing there if your friend isn't snapping you back or you've got a pause? Well, you swipe right and you come on to discover and you find these things that will soak up the terrifying idea of boredom and the terrifying idea of being on your own, which... For 14 seconds. Yeah, for 14 seconds. You know, what, what's so fascinating about watching teenagers and young people now is that there is absolutely no capacity whatsoever for solitude. They don't, you know, solitude to them is them frantically trying to cover up any anxiety about being lonely on one of these devices, right? I mean, I'm not saying that adults don't do it too, but I think if you're in your 40s or 50s, you had some experience in your teenage years of being lonely, being scared of, of the sort of the essence of what 
actually being a human being is all about. And these devices are very good at stopping all that. We've gone off subject, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have, yeah, um, but I'm, all right. I'm fascinated. Pull us back, pull okay, us back. Right. So what works on for a media company? What oh, works? so what, well, what's worked for, the, for, for Cosmo is being light and fun, which is essentially what Snapchat is So what's is the about. most popular thing that worked on it? Well, all sorts of things. I mean, motivational, funny motivational things work on it. I mean, I could call it up and have a look at today's. Um, but, I mean, funny motivational things, lively things that might reflect on, say, the Grammys the night before. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look. You probably can't see it. Too glam to give a damn. That's our opening snap. Um, oh, this hilarious story about the guy that looked as if he was going to propose to his girlfriend, but in fact got down on his knee. This is such a male thing to do. And then asked, so she got all excited thinking he was going to propose, and then he asked her to make him a cup of tea. Okay. <laughs> that got 10 million hits, so we wrote about that. Oh, my God. Um, I'm in the wrong business, but go ahead. Go ahead. So, I mean, basically stuff that yeah. will make you laugh make you is laugh. what works what on works. it. And then every now and then we run a piece that might have come from the magazine. This is six things every woman should know about toxic shock syndrome. Oh. The good news is it's rare. That's the first thing. Right. Um, right. But, you know, we have yeah. running gags. We do a ton of stuff on Disney princesses. We take some pieces from the magazine and shorten so, them and make them more fun. We write about contraception. We write about sex. We write about, you know, what so will... So light, fun. That light, one. fun. And then towards the end of the edition, sometimes we sneak in something like the impact of, you know, Antonin Scalia dying. Right. <laughs> just, just, yeah. just throw that in. So it's like um, orgasms than Antonin Scalia's death. Well, actually, Antonin Scalia would have preferred if none of us had had orgasmed. <laughs> That's true. That's a fair um, Well, it's done for him then. Um, so, um, uh, death jokes are always so good. Um, talk about, I want to talk about you being on the, uh, the Snapchat board. I want to talk about this weird arrangement of chairs. Right. It's very intriguing. Do you, you like Normally it? Normally the chairs are like this. I do like you it. You want to get it's closer to me, don't Yeah, no, I like it. I like you it, like you it you very wanna, much. You almost want to touch me. You I always want to do this, actually. It's actually All right, okay, what that's I kind fine. of want to do, but that feels a little <laughs> intrusive. No, go ahead. Go oh, right no, ahead. no, it's fine. So... Other platforms, do you find any of them useful? The rest of them, Facebook, uh, Instagram? Yeah, of course. I mean, I I love them all. I'm not saying that they're not useful. It's just the one I've been more engaged in recently is Snapchat. But... um yeah, of course. Where does that put you in power as a, as a magazine editor? You see magazine editors are the great power people. Are they now it, the power it players? It puts me at the bottom of the food chain. I'm always at the bottom of whatever food chain there is around me. Right, all right. So it does, does it take away your power? Or is it just tools you can use? Or do you feel like these have become sort of the way to get readers now? Well, I think that... <laughs> Again, it's this, this sense of the, the great thing that they're able to deliver is you can be, you can be in the reader's life with her at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's what they give you the opportunity to do. And that's really fun and exciting. It means you need way more people working at it because you can't just do it with a small team. But it's very exciting to be able to do that. And why wouldn't you want to do that? And Cosmo's been incredibly successful at it. And that's because we have really good editors. You know, we have a great Amy O'Dell, great editor of our, of our website. We have a great editor of the Snapchat team who are really sort of living and breathing and thinking about what women are thinking about right now. And then I'm trying to think about what are women thinking about in three months' time? Or what, right. what do we want them to be thinking about? What's coming up that's important? So we're all at different stages of sort of 
time in a way. It's almost like you're running a marathon and a sprint at the same time. Is that, is that it's exhausting in the media? No, it's sort fun. Of, it, no, you should no, you be doing, if you find it exhausting, you shouldn't so, be doing it. It's well, exhilarating. Then what do you think about virtual reality? It seems that Cosmo could be a perfect spot for that. Well, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we'll get involved. The thing I'm most fascinated about is porn and virtual reality, actually. Right, okay. Because it really looks like men are never, ever going to have to leave their men caves. Right, ever. It's so, really worrying. Uh, uh, well, worrying if you think that sex is actually a good thing and preferably sex with a real person as opposed to an invented person. Right. Um, but I think, you know, the, the sort of... I don't know how many of you are aware of the fleshlight, which is a masturbatory tool for men. And it's like a sort of padded thermos mm-hmm. that you put your penis in. Right. And actually what you yeah. can... I mean, they exist now, but they're going to have so much more appeal, I think, to a certain kind of man once they've got those big plastic Oculus risk uh-huh. things on. I'm just thinking of that for a second. Um, but, but that's a great Cosmo story, right? Yeah, it is a great Cosmo story. How do you prize, your boyf- how do you prize this off your boyfriend's head right. and get him to face you in real life? Right. Well, actual virtual reality, uh, when you're not watching porn, everything else does become much more interesting in the virtual reality world. Just every- everything seems to. Well, I think it depends what your real life is like, doesn't it? Yeah, I still think it's more interesting. I just do. I do. It's really interesting. When people start to put these things on, it's really quite intriguing for a lot of people. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to media in that environment. Because not a lot of people create for it right now. Yeah, but they will start to. The, yeah. you know, now they're available in Best Buy, I think. So a few more things before we have to go. You're on the board. How did you get on the board of Snapchat? And what's that, what, what is that like? What, it's, how do you, what happened there? You were doing very well on Snapchat, and Evan said, please come on my board? Or... Well, I think Evan and I had had some long, fairly epic chats. And my background is, you know, I spent 20 20 years working for The Guardian, for the BBC, for The Times of London. So I have a lot of experience in media. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what is it like? It is really fucking fun. Um, It's a great company. It's super exciting to be involved in a company that's so early in its development. And so you can actually have, I hope, a positive impact. And um, what, what's exciting is working at somewhere where they literally, it, it, I mean, I'm always saying their, their offices are in Venice Beach, right on the edge of the ocean. And it feels, that feels such a good metaphor for actually what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's super exciting. It's super exciting. And it's a young, really interesting bunch of people um and i think you know they've been reported that oh you know various people left they have an incredibly good uh extremely well various people have left sorry no various people have left but actually the team around evan the consistent team around evan have been there for um some of them have been there for several years and they're extremely uh smart and interesting and it's really exhilarating so would you call them the f- future of media, or is there something else that you think of? I mean, when you look at, you're part of an old magazine company that's been around forever that has all these great August titles and everything else. Are you worried about that, or are you looking at this as being the future? Well, it's funny, because I don't think of Hearst as being an old media, type, uh, an old media company. I mean, I it's mean, always it's been... length of time, then. I'll be... Oh, okay, so it's been around for some time. Um, I think, you know, actually when you think that the most, I think we have 
six out of the 10 most popular magazines at the newsstand right now, and they include Food Network, which is a new magazine, Dr. Oz, which is a new magazine, and House and Garden, which, or um, HGTV, which is a new magazine too. So I don't think of it as old. I think of it as being very imaginative in terms of um, how how brands think of their content. Um, and I don't think that... I mean, in a sense, Snapchat is clearly on the edge of something new. What's going to be very interesting is watching it emerge now as a real news source. I mean, you, see, you think of something like San Bernardino, and you switch on CNN, and you've got the man with the microphone, and behind him you've got the tape, and you've you know the yellow crime yeah. tape, and you've got the guy from CNN standing saying, well, I think what we're hearing from behind me, and then you go on Snapchat, and what you've got is actual footage from people who are in the scene at the time, and you can hear the shots going off. I mean, the, the, it does really sort of change everything, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people here saw um, their footage of the Hajj and the terrible tragedy in the Hajj, but on the Monday, you know, you had hundreds of young Arabs so excited that this was going on, and then the next day, you had this devastating footage um, that is completely unreplicable by a single news agency. You know, even the Daily Mail can't, can't produce that. And I say that being ironic and sarcastic about the Daily Mail, just <laughs> yes. in case someone didn't, anyone didn't realise. Um, <laughs> So I do think it's a new form of media, and, and it's really exhilarating trying to figure out the next step with them. Are the media companies that exist now going to exist in 10 years? Would you see? What is the thing you're most nervous about as a media editor? Well, I'm not nervous about any of it because I think it's all incredibly exciting and it gives us the opportunity to do new things. I mean, I think if you're nervous about it, you shouldn't be in the business. Mm -hmm. I really do, actually. I mean, this, this is a really freaking interesting time to be around and to take opportunities and to try new things. Um, I mean, who knows where we're going to be in 10 years, but that's the fun of it. If we knew it, would be, it would be deadly. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you had to work for a media company, an internet company, which one do you think is the most powerful right now? I mean, you're obviously on the board of Snapchat, you're doing very well with Snapchat, but which of the ones do you think impact your life as a media executive right now the most? What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you mean? Of, the, of, the, of Google, of Facebook, of Snapchat, Instagram, all the others, do you think of them all equally or is there one that you have to say, I have to succeed on that platform? A lot of people think Facebook is now going to be able to do instant articles from every, for every publisher, for example. Well, Cosmo's on. Right. So, I mean, we do that with right. Facebook. Is that well, a good I, I, thing for you? Uh, yeah, it's a great thing for us. Facebook has been fantastic for us. We've been able to get out a huge amount of content. Um, through Facebook. Um, I mean, honestly, we like all of them, and I'm excited to see new things coming along. I mean, I don't, you know, I love doing what I'm doing, so I'm not sort of, I don't think in terms of going to work for a, for a sort of tech company particularly. Um, but I think, you know, I think that what media companies do well is they understand content, and the friction that I have observed is people in tech companies who think they understand content but actually don't find it very interesting. What they find is the tech part, but they don't find stories interesting. And they're slightly sort of cynical, and, and, and they don't really care about the stories. And actually, I think that readers and users care about the stories, and the story is the thing that will survive. I mean, it may survive in different ways. It may survive shorter. You may choose not to read newspapers anymore, but that doesn't mean that the story isn't there. Mm -hmm. And last question, what are your digital uh, 
practices? What do you, how do you interact? Do you, I interact all, only with my phone now, pretty much. And now I have an Amazon Echo and I'm all set now. Right, well I don't use my desktop anymore. I, I have terrible repetitive, you know, repetitive strain injury on my right thumb uh, because all I do is, and that's nothing to do with Tinder and swiping right, I hasten to add. Um, <laughs> because all I, I do is this. I mean, you know, everything I like that I you use now. the word hasten. Thank you. Um, um, why is that an old British? Word? It's like British. Yeah, very nice. I like. Um, uh, you know, listen. I use apps for everything. I would say at this point. At this point, and yeah. do you, anything else that you are you you think is important as a media executive to use? Well, the thing I find really interesting, and I don't know how much you're talking about it at Rico, but when I was looking down the program, I didn't see much on it. Is is how much of the you know thirty percent of internet usage is spent, or thirty percent of internet time uh, time on the internet is spent on porn. Porn again. And I find it, I know I always come back to porn, but I find it an incredibly interesting statistic. We and had a I lot of porn last year. We had more porn you, last year. I find it really interesting that we're not having a conversation as a culture about how it's impacting us, because I really do think it's impacting people. Well, explain. Let, let's finish up on porn. Um, well, I think that Why not? If, you're, if your default learning experience of sex as a young, you know, as someone from the age of sort of 10 onwards, is looking at Pornhub um, or looking at, at YouPorn or whatever you're looking at. Um, it, it radically changes your expectation of what sex is and what sex is going to be and what the opposite sex or the same sex is going to want from you in the bedroom. And I think it's really interesting that as a culture we don't really talk about it. And I think about this through the prism of, of Cosmo because right. we talk about this a lot. Um, and I'm trying to write a book about it at the moment. So um, about the changing. Well, about the impact of this on on our expectations of our own behaviour in the bedroom and our own expectations of re relationships. And I do think that. So what do you think the impact? Given this would be a topic for Cosmo, how we think about sex. What do you imagine the impact is? Well, I'm not convinced that the impact is necessarily a good one. Um, I mean, I worry that, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot about from readers is this idea that, um, me, that, that women haven't figured out yet whether or not they want to do the things that men feel obligated to ask them because what they have seen on porn. And one of the things, for example, is uh, men wanting to come on women's faces, orgasm on women's right. faces. And we get a lot of letters from readers saying, he wants to come on my face. I don't feel good about this. Can you suggest an yeah. alternative? You know, I have um, never gotten that letter at Recode yet. Um, <laughs> well, perhaps we could all start sending right. those, those right, letters okay. to Recode. But so I find, thing, I find this is the stuff that I find, you know, not, not which tech giant is interesting or whatever. Yeah. What I find, I find this kind of stuff, how does this impact our behavior in the bedroom, really interesting. And, you know, if you're a 17-year-old boy and you're having sex for the first time, you're a 15-year-old girl and um, someone is trying to, to do this, is this a good thing? Do you feel good about this? Is this exciting? How do you say no? And I think when your default learning position about sex, because American sex education is so poor, and you know, it's a fascinating statistic. Only 13, in only 13 states in America does, um, does learning about sex education and how babies are born actually have to be medically accurate, which is such an extraordinary statement. Um, only 13 states require it to be medically accurate. Um, 
So where does that leave kids? So I spend a lot of time thinking about that, which is a bit of a downer, isn't it? I didn't mean to have this session <laughs> end on a downer, but right. for those of us who have kids and those of us who have yeah. younger readers who talk about this all the time, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm still on the VR thing right now. So Well, the VR thing is going to be, um, you know, if you really want to buy stock in something, those kind of weird foam rubber bosoms that okay. uh, right, there's going to be a lot of interest in those. I'm sorry, I brought the tone right down. It's no, the you didn't. I, don't I brought think it right you, down. I think talking about foam river bosoms brings it right up as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> anyway, questions from the audience. Please, please have a question, someone. Thank you. Up. Oh, my God, there's people here. Yes, I had no idea. Stand up. I Come thought on. this was just you and me. Come on. Quiet. No quiet. Questions I'm happy to say any, any questions ahead. about yeah, Mike, yes. sex, you, orgasms, anything yeah. like that. Remember, this is cosmopolitan. It's not popular science. <laughs> so they like popular science. I have this issue with my server. Hi, Rich Greenfield, BTIG. No sex questions. Oh. Well, that's very disappointing. Sorry. <laughs> I like sex, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> Just like? Um, you love it. People pay for Cosmo. Uh, actually, if you go to Snapchat Discover, most people pay for the things, whether it's a cable subscription or a magazine or some newspaper. People pay for actually getting access. On Snapchat, everything is free. Uh, so I can get all of those snippets of your content and CNNs and many other things for free without paying for it. And yes, there's a little bit of advertising, but there's advertising in your magazines that you still pay for first. How does getting so much stuff for free, how do you feel good about the long-term business of publishing or even at media in general when so much is now being given away for free without having to pay up front for it? Well, it's a really good question, and obviously it's one that we think about all the time. Um, you know, we work very hard with advertisers and sponsors to mitigate that. Mitigate that? What does that mean? That's not an answer. Well, we work hard with advertisers to, to you know, allow the experience to be free for the consumer. Right. So you have, but, but it's not. I mean, that's how television is, is, how, you know, network televisions work for years. But I think a lot of us who are looking at all these platforms, and we just hired a new person who's going to be dealing with partnerships at Vox Media across um, all of them, you do sort of wonder how you make any money if you're just sort of giving it away all the time. Um, it feels a little bit of that. It feels like you're, like when you're on Twitter or Facebook, there's no discernible um, reward necessarily. Now, and again, you sell the magazine every, every month or in a subscription form. Right, and you asked me why we... Right made magazines and they you know listen the magazine is a more profitable form of media than but a declining one for all, mostly a declining your your subscription rates have well actually our, our circulation has remained pretty stable but not boom, growing well it's not boom, yeah. but it's um it's actually pretty stable the cosmos circulation mm -hmm. But for most magazines, that's not the case. It's usually typical. Well, some magazines are growing. Honestly, yeah. the Dr. Oz magazine came out of the door very fast, and I think it's selling almost 800,000 copies, which mm -hmm. is actually quite a lot of revenue. So getting back to his question, though, how do you, how do you imagine making money on those, uh, on, on, on those mediums? Do you imagine a time where it's just going to happen, or you just well, do we it? Well, do, we do make money on those mediums. We have advertising. Advertising makes money. I mean, it doesn't make necessarily, it's not exactly the same correlation right. as, um, as it is you in need the magazine, people. but some of the content, right, but some of the content doesn't take uh, as long to produce. I mean, if you're producing a snap, sorry, that was my device, um, you know, it doesn't take as long to make a snap 
as it takes to produce a page of content in a magazine. And do you, do you imagine that that will come down or that there's something to, at some point, the print publications will either even out. For many people, it's going down. And it's not the, it's not the growth area. So do you imagine the profits go, how do your profits go up in there? More advertising, different kinds of content? Well, I, I mean, what we're all hoping, obviously, is that digital profits rise to meet print at some point. Right. And, but how? I'm over here. I want to know. Where, where do you imagine that happening? Well, I imagine it happening in us being, um, I imagine it happening with advertising. With advertising. Any yeah. other way? Commerce? Well, clearly e-commerce, but I don't think necessarily the tech bit is quite there quite yet for how we And do you do any like do substantive it. commerce? Because you, you, you would imagine Cosmo could have a lot of opportunities. Well, actually, one of the plans for Sweet, which is a Explain brand. Sweet. Well, so Sweet is a channel on Snapchat that Hearst and uh, Snapchat have done together. And it's really, the tagline is, love something new every day. And at some point, That's that will... the tagline in the Castro where I live, but go ahead. <laughs> Um, but at some point, that will, that will morph into an e-commerce platform, so you will be able to buy from it. To be able to buy from it. Yep. And do you imagine doing the same thing for Cosmo? Like... Uh, not necessarily, no, actually. But I think that, you know, the joy of working for something like Hearst is it's very well diversified, and we have lots of media brands, and they're sort of all in different states of sort of energy and, you know, more energy. And so we feel pretty good about the future, actually. I don't feel as bleak as a lot of other people do. No, you do aren't. Not it. at all. Not at all. Now, last question. When is Snapchat going public? Cara, I would expect to read it on Recode first. I have a question for you, actually. Right, what the right. hell is happening at Yahoo? What the <laughs> um, well, it's bad things. Bad things. It's troubled. It's a troubled company, and it's more troubled today. They just had more layoffs, and they're closing down media organizations, and someone's going to buy it. So what do you think went wrong with their media operation? Uh, it's stuck in the 80s, I, you know, except the, I, I don't know, it just didn't, um, it didn't downsize when it needed to, and some things just die, you know what I mean, and the internet is very quick moving and it didn't move right. quick enough. It missed the opportunities with Instagram, it missed the, with this Flickr, um, it missed the opportunities with Snapchat, that's something Yahoo could have done, really, if you think about it, it was in their wheelhouse, it missed opportunities all over the place, and then probably you could blame um, the series of CEOs that kept coming through there, and maybe just, I don't, maybe me. I'm the reason it's going down. I don't know. I think it's really hard to be a media company, an internet media company, and change fast enough in the way that you have to. And they never, they were never here nor there. And so when you're in the muddy middle, it's really hard. That would be my, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't have bought Tumblr. I don't know. I, every, there's a mistake in every CEO. So, but we'll see. It'll get bought by Verizon or AT&T and we'll slowly, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, listen, I, I know nothing about it. I just read what you write about it. And I, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, the, the thing that I do think one knows about this stuff is that it, this is hard. This is not, it's not for the faint-hearted. And if you're yeah. exhausted by it and you can't see a way out and you think it's all dying, then you shouldn't be in the business. I personally find it incredibly exciting. It's really exhilarating. There's something new. And it is about stories. And, um, and that's the fun of it. And having new ways to tell great stories is really exciting. Yeah. And, um, and if, you can't, if you don't have the people at the heart of it who can tell those stories, 
um, then you're not going to get anywhere. You can't just, you know, it's not just about padding. It's not about building content just around an advertiser. You have to have an idea. You have to have a point of view. You have to have a voice mm -hmm. and you have to have a story. Absolutely. Love something new every day. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. For more coverage of the Code Media 2016 conference and all of Recode's great live events, visit recode.net. This has been a digital media production.